Welcome to the Storytellers Live Podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. So many of our stories have roots in our childhood, and that's true for today's storyteller, Suzanne. She found at an early age that she could protect herself from criticism or ridicule by controlling appearance and performance. Since then, her bent toward perfectionism has played out in several areas of her life, including school grades, body image, her career, and even parenting. That kind of pressure is not only exhausting, but as Suzanne points out, it also limits our potential. Because what we do through our own efforts can never top what we're capable of doing when God is working through us. Suzanne experienced a huge shift in her perspective and approach to life when she began really engaging with God through prayer and through His Word. With God's help, Suzanne discovered the freedom and joy of living in balance rather than in the extreme. So here is Suzanne and her story of transformation. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I'm um, excited to be here. I um, woke up and the first thought this morning was... Uh, Maybe I can call and tell him that my son is sick and I can't do this. <laughs> and then I got on the one-year Bible, and it was like, humble yourself under the Bible. And I was like, Ugh. okay, which falls right into the line of my story of um, what I'm going to talk to you all about today. The, over, the, the umbrella of what my story comes down to is entering into an active and engaged relationship with God. Um, and we'll go into kind of what, how I got to that place in my story. I'm going to be, um, reading some things for y'all and sharing, um, a little bit of my notes. So let me get them. Um, deep breath. Okay. So I'm Suzanne Perkle, currently married, have a son who's almost three and a half. We've had a super fun week this week of being three and a half. So it's kind of distracted me from really giving my all um, to because I'm a perfectionistic person. So that's also part of my story. I want everything to be in line, on time, all the time, perfect, present to y'all wonderfully. Um, But at home, it was very chaotic this week. And um, so it's kind of funny. It just all works, works out. So born and raised in Alabama. Uh, I am the youngest of three siblings. I have two older brothers, so I'm the youngest and the girl. (laughs) Y'all, that says it all. Um, Parents were married all growing up, still married. Um, My household was a very peaceful household growing up. Um, There's nothing to really share there. We had lots of family time, very stable home. Um, So a lot of my story comes from me kind of learning to grow up um, on my own and find confidence and grow roots in my identity and my creation um, from the creator and realizing that if I try to define that, I will limit what he has for me because my human brain being self-sufficient 
will always stop the dream or limit the peace or steal the joy. And y'all, every time I talk about Jesus, I cry. So there's that. I don't cry any other time in my life. And y'all, if those that know me know I'm like Miss Sassafras. But when it comes to Jesus, I cry. I call it my spiritual love, uh, my spirit language. So anyway, I was raised in the church. It won't be teary cry. It'll be like ugly cry. So tissues aren't even fun. <laughs> so I was raised in the church, um, a Methodist church, which was great for me growing up because I'm a perfectionist rule follower. So I got to put on my, and no offense to this Methodist church, but this is how I perceived it. So please hear my story that way. So I got to dress up in my perfect clothes. And when I was younger, you know, that was the huge white collars and all the ribbons hanging off. And as I got older, y'all, I can still remember what I wore to Easter my junior year. I had gone to the limited and I got one of the gray skirts and I was one of the first in my class to get them. And it felt right below the knee and that was so trendy not to be full length but not to be above the knee and I was the first one to wear the little scarf with my hot pink cardigan yeah you're not my hot pink cardigan set y'all that is what I remember that says a lot because it was my image it was my identity it's what I it's what I clung to clung to so fast forward um in sixth grade I had to change schools And I changed schools twice, once just within a school system and then once my family moved. And in sixth grade was the first time that I had had an experience in my life that made me go, whoa, wait a minute, what's happening right here? This is like a, I felt tension and it was the first, and I was bullied in sixth grade. And kind of looking back now, I have a lot more insight to it, but I was kind of, you know, the put together nothing was wrong in my life person walked into this school um, that was much different than the school I had transferred from and um, so I stuck out a little bit and I was the outsider and we're all in sixth grade and insecure and odd anyway and so I was just the perfect sitting duck you know for everybody to throw their insecurities out on which made my insecurities come out as well so after that again I'm a sixth grader I don't have this insight at the time but what came out of that it uh, my life lesson were I need a defense mechanism. I will always be stronger. I will have a strong face. They will not know that I'm hurting. I will be the best. I will be the leader because if I'm all these things, then people can't, um, they can't hurt me. They can't, or they won't try to, right? So this is where that perfectionistic, perfectionistic tendency started coming through. So that was that part of my life, because I feel like my story evolves as I grow as a human, which all of our stories do. Fast forward, how did that look when I was in my late teens, early 20s? Um, I'm still looking for the control. How do I present the image? So it kind of keeps everyone at a little bit of an arm's length, right? Um, So that in that time, um, the only two things I could control were school and um, my physical body, right? Because that's all I had possession of and to be independent with at that point. So um, I went to college. I went to out-of-state school um, where image was kind of everything. Your sorority letters were everything. Um, What you kind of built up kind of um, present you your was your resume before they ever got to know you. 
So comparison helped me get an external feel of how I could fit in, make an identity and gain control of the situation. Uh, But the root inside was really fear of what if they know me? What if, what if, dot, dot, dot. So that came out in college looking like um, overdriven um, in school. If graduating in four years is great, guess what? I'm doing it in three. If an A is good, I'm getting like the 100, not the 99. I'm very, very driven. If one major's good, I'm double majoring if and minoring and, you know, you know, that kind of thing. It also looked like really controlling um, my physical body. So making sure it fit the image that was presented to me in my um, college environment. So that began to do poor body image. That began destructive um, eating behaviors. Um, since my family was so um, loving and we were very close-knit, they had a family intervention pretty early on. They could tell I was not thriving in that situation. Um, and when they sat me down and said, hey, we're concerned, this is what we're seeing, I listened. You know, So I feel like that is the strength in a family um, that is bonded together in love is that you will listen. Um, so it, that's the first time I feel like I got stopped in my tracks and the Lord said, um, this, this was my fork in the road. You know, I had gotten to the rock bottom physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I was very connected in school, but not very connected emotionally to the environment around me. Did I have friends? Yes. But did anybody really know me? No. Um, and that felt lonely too. So I felt like I was in a very dark time and, um, and, and this is where I started. Of course, I wanted to do everything on my own. So I started going to this coffee shop in Oxford, Mississippi at the time. It's called like High Point Coffee or something. And I started doing the study on my own by Beth Moore called Breaking Free. And it's the first time I had um, had somebody write out something for me where I could really connect, connect to it and understand she is talking about God in this scenario um, I read the Bible growing up. I read the words on the paper. I went to church. I sung the songs. But I I did just that. That's as far as it went. So in uh, there's a verse in Isaiah 54, 7, and it's where God makes us a promise that with deep compassion, he will bring you back. And I remember reading that and being like, what did, wow, he will bring me back. Because I was about to have to, if I wanted to believe what the words say, I was going to have to drop all the images that I had horizontally created for the world to see, um, which in the way I looked, the way I presented myself, the what I was doing in school, the plans I had for my life. Um, and if I can look back now and realize all of those things were built to give me glory. And that it's a little not embarrassing to say, I kind of am sad for that part of my life. Um, but it was true. So later in life, even now, those tendencies are still there. I reframe those, um, outside of college, those tendencies looked like, um, workaholic. (laughs) I worked all the time before I had my child, um, and early in my marriage. Um, I had anxiety over my work. The thought of me not having a client or the thought of me not being, I can't just do something. I've got to be the best at it. 
You know, I'm the one that goes to a spin class and enjoys it. And I drive home thinking, should I be a spin instructor? I'm like, can you not just go and do something and just let it be that? Like, it's exhausting in here. So I would overcome socially. You know, I'd try to get on every board and every, anyway, y'all get the picture. So I remember one day specifically, I'd done my little thing, my little study at, um, at the coffee shop and I was walking back on campus and Oxford, Mississippi is a very small town. So we used to, you could easily walk from the town center to campus. So it wasn't very long. Had my backpack on and it was late afternoon and the campus gets very um, quiet at that time. And I was walking down Sorority Row because I was walking back to my dorm. And I remember at this point I was set to graduate. Okay. I was graduating in May and, uh, fashion um, merchandising design degree and I'd already been accepted to go to a school in LA for my graduate degree it's after spring break and I knew that that's where I was going and I was just walking I can still remember like it was yesterday and I had my hands on my backpack and I thought and I just heard like clear as day you need to change your major and if you go to LA you will you're you're not gonna make it you're gonna die and I don't know if that means physically spiritually I don't know but at this point I'm physically worn down disconnected, striving, ceasing. And I remember getting that and, you know, me being perfectionistic, I had all my comebacks to that. I'm not staying here five years. I'm not doing X, Y, Z. So Lord, if you want that to happen, you, you're going to have to do the following. Thank goodness he made me this way. So he knows I'm going to be sassy. So (laughs) I said, you know, I've still got to graduate on time. I've got to do this, this, I gave him all the things. So the next morning I wake up and I go to my counselor at school or whatever, and um, I was like, I need to change my major. She's like, you're graduating <laughs> in like a couple weeks. I'm like, yeah, well, I need to get a nutrition degree, and I need to do it in a year. And she's like, okay. So I thought, this there's no way this is going to happen. So I come back the next day, and they have agreed to let me take two classes at one time. They've moved one class on the schedule um, and changed it to when I could go to the class at, in the evening. So they changed it in the whole system. They allowed me to take 25 hours. So I was taking some classes, but not really present in the class. I would just teach myself, go in and take the test, come back and um, passing the class. So I ended up graduating on time, got into my or took the or the internship, got accepted into that grad school and away I went. And I thought the whole time, I remember when he told me to change it, he said, I'll take care of you. And he gave me a vision that I would be seeing clients kind of like a, in a private practice setting. And I thought, okay, here, here we go. So once he moved it, I, you know, kind of felt obligated to like fall through at this point. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, my out's out. So anyway, um, fast forward, I'm going through my internship and I'm kind of t- start, starting to tell this vision I've had, like, oh, I really think I'm going to have a private practice and like, you know, talk to people and pour into women and, and share the wisdom that he's given me about my body and like the anatomy and the biology of things and how we have to take care of ourselves because this is a temple. It can't be a distraction. Um, it can't be worshiped. It's gotta be, it's gotta be utilized. And, and, uh, so people start in the field start saying, you can't make a living doing that. And so I'm just like, 
what? I got to make a living. And and I'm in the hospital at the time wearing the white jacket. I'll never forget those days. And I'm miserable. I'm like, this is not what I signed up for to be in a hospital. I was like, this is not my cup of tea. And I'm like, but he said... You know, fast forward now, that's what I do. Have a private practice called Nutrifocus, see people. He came through. And the reason I say that is because if I looked at the facts or if I looked at my circumstance, I would limit, I would have pulled out. So three nuggets of truth that he kind of have shared with me that I think when I was asked to share my story, um, this is, this is what I take from that because instead of focusing on the struggle, I like to look at the wisdom and the nuggets that he's, that he has given me along the way. And, and what I learned through doing the study and being broken down, um, and having to surrender a lot of things is that we have choices and, and this is the most powerful thing in my life. Um, the, the little verse that is on here is Romans twelve two, And it's do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test. It tells us that and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. And I've heard that verse a thousand times, but he started really challenging me in the way I live my life and how much of that is because of the world standards and how much of that is because he has specifically guided me to do that. Um, How do I view my body? How do I view my family? How do I view my friends? Um, He started giving me insight and wisdom to he is such an intentional God. Nothing goes to waste. That's how valuable we are. Every breath that we take, every day we're alive, it's for a purpose. And that purpose is not to be a certain size or to accomplish a certain thing or to um, present a certain image. Um, But because we serve a God, he's powerful, but he's also a gentleman. And he asked for our permission. And I think it took me so long to realize that. I thought if I went and I showed up and I said I, I believed, then then all things happen. But that is a passive relationship for me. And what I realized is if I had a relationship like that with my earthly friends, my, my earthly spouse, the relationship would be weak. And so we serve a God who's a gentleman and he wants great things for us. But are we willing and he talks to me in questions, by the way. Are we, so I'm talking to you on questions. Are we willing to be brave enough to live it out? And what that means is I was trying so hard to be the norm or be the success according to the world standard that it took away my uniqueness. And what I found is as I compared and tried to be the normal, Um, It really minimized the fact that God is so much bigger than my human brain that he never intended for anyone to be the same. We all are supposed to be different. We all are supposed to be unique. We all are supposed to be the oddballs in the room. And if we're not, that's a problem, right? Because he's a creator and he is too brilliant and smart and amazing to create the same thing twice. And when I was able to receive that and say, 
I'm supposed to be odd. (laughs) Then I can begin to be in a position to receive my next step. Um, So he kept at putting the question back on me, Suzanne, do you want my all? Do you want God's all? Or do you want your all? And that's the first time I realized that I am co-authoring my life with God. And it's up to me to decide when I'm going to give him permission to show up and show out. Um, He is never going to do for me in the natural. That's not his job. His job is the supernatural. Okay. So going back to my college, you know, when I'm trying to do these things, when I kept finding I was bumping up into hard things in my life, um, it wasn't until he revealed that to me that I was able to say, what is my natural obligation? I have to engage with that natural obligation or, or that's where the story ends. Um, I see clients a lot in my private practice now that struggle with disordered eating. And a lot of times they're sitting on my couch and this is where I love ministering to them. And they say, I just want this to go away. I just want, I just want to be able to sit down and eat and not have anxiety. And, um, I just want, I want it to go away. And, but they're not eating because they have the anxiety. And I'm like, he's, this is where it stops then. Because if you, that's natural. He's giving you teeth, money to buy food, food's in the cabinet. You got a car to go to the store. Those are all not. So if we're not exhausting that natural obligation, he can't, he can't go the supernatural and close that gap. And, and so I look at that a lot in my life of what am I doing all the natural, am I taking all natural gifts and, and, and playing them out? Um, I cling to the verse, first Thessalonians, that's one of my life verse, the, the one who calls you is faithful and he'll do it. He'll do it. And Psalm 116, you always cry when I talk about Jesus. I love the Lord because he heard my voice and he heard my cry for mercy. But in that, he saw my cry for mercy. We have to be active and engaged in our relationship. It can't just be, Lord, 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 he needs to see us move. And because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him. I had to give permission for him to engage with me in a living and an active and a strong relationship. Um, I think that was powerful. The second thing he gave me is I had to make a decision too of what's going to rule my feelings and facts or my faith. Because at the end of the day, if I listen to my feelings or look to my facts, that's where I'm limited. Um, Feelings are real, (laughs) very real. They are a real experience. They are not truth. Okay, they are real experience. They are not truth. Um, So I love the story in Genesis. This is one that I apply to my daily life probably a hundred times a day because y'all have to remember my mind's constantly drumming up stuff and I'm like so and it's not always bad stuff I mean I'm a dreamer if anybody in here knows me you know I can I'll start a business in a minute but um so Genesis 3 9 through 11 it's the story where Adam and Eve just bit into the apple and now they're like we have our eyes open and they're hiding And I love the next phrases is the Lord comes looking for them and he says, where are you? And the next line is, we're in the bushes hiding, we're we're naked. And then he says the most powerful words to me that 
for my life. Some of the most powerful words in the Bible for me. And he says, well, who told you? Constantly having to tell myself that. When I hear, when I, who's telling me that? Me? The world? Um, or is it him? And I'm constantly clinging to that story. And it's in Genesis and people are like, why is that? But for me, it's important. I have to run it by where, who's telling me what I'm believing. Um, Because a large part of faith is simply refusing to yield to the thought that somehow God's going to be late or not show up. So um, the Lord gave me in the years of my kind of restoration and even now, again, those who know me know I quote this verse quite often, not to teach people, but it's for myself, is in Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman builds up her house and a foolish woman tears it down. And I have to constantly make sure my feelings aren't tearing it down. And that includes my words. Like sometimes, again, I'm sassy. So I, I, my, my tongue can lash it out real quick. And uh, marriage has taught me the best about this. And it was like, why am I tearing my husband down? This is the very <laughs> leader of the home I'm supposed to be under. Um, but I do it to myself, too. I have to shut off the negative in my mind. Like, what good is that? It's a distraction. It's tearing down God's creation. And I, 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 I have to choose to not do that. And the, the third thing that, that I, my story and my life that I deal with daily, it goes back to obedience. And through the God's work in my life, I've realized that is the best, um, evidence of my love and trust for him. Um, God calls us according to his plans for our lives, his plans, not according to the, to my judgment of myself. And he does the same for everyone in this room. Um, first Samuel 15, obedience is better than sacrifice. So I'm constantly telling myself, where is my attention? Um, as a person who's bent can be towards perfectionism and work and production is my worship is my energy is my thought and my mind is it going vertical and am i seeking the vision there or am i going horizontally and i'm looking to the world and the culture and i'm trying to uphold uphold that um, so I'm constantly having to ask myself, even today, I, I talked to you all about this, not because I haven't figured out, but those who know me know, um, I do, I still struggle and I have to ask myself, what am I valuing? I have found in my life that when I am exhausted, feel chaotic, I am tired or have extreme fatigue, I'm horizontally worshiping the world around me. I'm pouring, pouring, pouring into the image and identity. And a lot of times I have to, I have to pull back. I actually um, have lots of dear friends and Anna sitting here in the room. I can tell this story. Um, I walked into work a couple of Mondays ago. I had tears in my eyes and I, I noticed she wasn't seeing clients yet. And I was like, can you be my counselor for five minutes? <laughs> I was like, I need some help. I'm about to lose it. Okay, that's that chaotic. I feel like it's, it's it's about to turn real ugly. And I'm just holding it in. I'm like a Coke bottle shaking up. And, you know, and I told her kind of what else going on. And 
you know, who I liked and who I didn't like in my life. And, <laughs> and she looked at me and she was like, you got to stop and stop. You're, you know, she gave me some great advice and I'm still clinging to it. So, and it reminded me when, after talking to her, I went home and he gave me the verse in Psalm 46, 10, and it says, cease striving and know that I'm God. Just stop, like stop doing it all and let me be God. And I would probably say that is the story of my life. Um, the action that he calls me to and being obedient, even in my darkest moments, um, being obedient and being moved and being engaged in life. Um, Proverbs 31, you know, where it tells us how the woman is, you know, I think we all kind of say we love the verse, but really we feel a lot of pressure. Um, maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, you know, anyway, but I do love the part, my favorite part of that verse is number 15. And I'm sure this is not what this verse is talking about, but it speaks to my heart, but I cling to this, um, when I feel like life is overwhelming and it says Proverbs 31, 15, she rises while it's still dark. And she, and I know it's probably talking about the time of day. But for me, when I feel like life is dark, when I feel like life is too much, um, I'm going to rise. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to walk out of it and it's going to be okay. And and that's where they asked me for a little quote or slogan of what my life is. And um, the words that the Lord gave me were when an image or something seems perfect. Um, Suzanne, if your life in certain areas looks perfect, it is not a time of praise. It is more of a signal to, to prayer because I'm horizontally worshiping that. I've put effort and energy into it in a way that's not okay. Um, and I feel anxiety in those places when I feel like something's going to be taken from me. So I go back to, are we brave enough to trust the creator who fearfully and wonderfully made us. And when I was going in college, when I was going through my restoration and um, spiritually and physically and everything, um, people used to tell me that verse, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I was like, I hate that verse. (laughs) I did. I did. That's just truth. So, but uh, if y'all haven't gotten this book, you need it. It's None Like Him by Jen Wilkin. Um, she she summed it up for me, so I'm going to share it with you guys because it's this is one of those things. So the reason I hate it is because I couldn't believe it. I was like, I fearfully, wonderfully made. What are you talking about? Um, but when I learned about that verse, I realized what it was talking about. Me being self sufficient and horizontally worshiping, I read that verse and I took it all about me. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. It's not about us, y'all. Shocker. Um, it's about him. He's the creator, and, he, and and something is only valuable because of its origin. Okay, so um, sorry, my face. So that is um, that is what that verse is about. The creator created an object that is fearfully and wonderfully made. It is valuable not because of who you are; it's because of the origin that it comes from. And she said it. She said, we often read Psalm 139 to bolster our self-esteem. But when Psalm 139 reflects that humans are fearfully and wonderfully made, it does so to raise our eyes from our mirrors to our creator. 
It's a passage about who made us before it's a passage about what he made. It's an appeal to original or origin-based value. What, f- what freedom is found in recognizing that only God creates? No longer must we labor under the delusion of our own self-importance. We need not find our value in people or possessions. It rests solely in our origin. And I thought that was so powerful um, because it, it challenges me to be brave enough to walk out the creation that he that he created. Um, There was one more thing in here I wanted to share with y'all because it speaks so highly to me. Um, This summed me up back in college um, and and, and still to this day, sometimes it can. So I laughed when I read this and maybe some of y'all can uh, resonate with this, but it says, I want to believe I'm the special case. The exception to every rule, the possessor of an extenuating circumstance that others just are not aware of. When corrections offered to me, I tell myself it's offered an error. And my deceitful heart is happy to perpetuate this lie all the days of my life. Um, thank God he allows no such thing. He grac- graciously holds up the mirror of his word and my heart is laid bare. I am reminded that I am fully knowable and fully known. My favorite line, God is not only an expert on God, but he is an expert on me. And that is my life story of me learning my self-sufficiency limits what my possibilities are. Because if I want to know how to handle a situation or I want to know what my purpose is, if I want to feel valuable, I've got to go to the creator (coughs) who made this creation. Um, So I stop seeking perfection, but I constantly seek prayer and prayerfully seek that I don't miss his beautiful script for me because of the world's distractions. And since I... I've been able to or trying to on a daily basis walk that out. My life has in the past 10 years unfolded beautifully, not perfectly, but beautifully in a way that makes me laugh because in in no way, shape or form for those who know me, is it typical? Is it perfect? Is it easy? But there's a, a joy, a joy there that I that I cling to and there's freedom in knowing that I don't have it all figured out and I don't have to have it all figured out. I wanted to share one more thing with you guys because I feel like this was, I write this little passage in every journal because when I fill up one, you know, I got to go get another one. And um, although since having a child, my journaling days have limited. But um, anyway, this is something I wanted to read and I hope this encourages you guys because it encourages me a lot and this is what I cling to in terms of of practicing so it says and and this is the secret of healing this is something he gave me in college by the way and escaping ourselves and choosing to live for someone else in believing we were made for more than a disease in believing our identity is entwined with the creators we have a divine purpose all of us, we have a divine purpose. We are framed masterpieces on display for the world to see. And through our pictures, which are perfect in spite of their flaws, people see the heavenly artist and they weep for his beauty. Every day I seek the word for my worth. 
I do this to understand, to truly get how valuable I am. It's as though I'm learning a new language, a holy way of speaking, and as with any schooling, it takes practice to make perfect. Slowly, I'm becoming fluent in verses like, uh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are perfect. I know that full well. Slowly, my insides are beginning to reverberate with these truths. But the voice of the enemy is ever present. And so I need to stay familiar with the whisper of scripture's translucent pages. As well, I pray for in prayer, I find God speaking to me, telling me his heart Things spoken in simple glory, and I find meaning in this relationship that we share. That was something you gave me. So if I could leave one encouragement to everyone in this room, it's to find the love language in the scriptures. Take them, write them down, and really apply them, engage, and put action behind the verses that really speak to you. Because that's where you'll meet the living and moving God. And it's it's really powerful and it's fun. It's fun to be in that engaging relationship. Does anybody have any questions before we wrap up? Uh, so what do you do when you find those tendencies like creeping back off of you currently? What are some of the like things you practice? Um, for me personally, I have learned um, or am learning um, that it comes back to surrendering. I have to surrender like every day. Um, Really every morning I have to start out surrendering because my tendency is always more. So if um, with my work, I see clients. So if I see 15 clients a week, then, um, you know, the next week that won't be enough. I'll need to see like 16. And then the next week that won't be enough. I'll have to see 17. So um, I also keep a written um, note for myself of what I'm called to be obedient to. Um, And for me, that looks like family. Um, That looks like my marriage, my son, um, my friends. Yes, work. Um, But I have to then make sure nothing on that list is being sacrificed um, because I'm under the a belief that he hasn't called me to my callings will never contradict one another. So if I feel like something is getting sacrificed that is on that list, then I have to come back and rebalance. And on a lighter note, I go see my counselor friend. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll tell me. <laughs> One of the coping skills that she's showed me in my life is like personally just striving for that image of perfection. And she's like, just drop your scale off my porch. Like, that's yes. just, like people literally drop their scales on Suzanne's porch. Yes. Like stop standing on the stop it. and trying to measure up in that way. Fear. Yeah, the what she said. Yeah. Don said one way that she's felt like I kind of encouraged her is to with the image thing is to just drop the scale off at my house and 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 I, I didn't mention that but I am a firm believer in our actions are powerful and what we invite into our home is very powerful and that's something I work with my clients a lot about and you have to be careful because you're powerful 
right? And the things that we choose, our choices are powerful and we minimize our power a lot. But remember, we're co-authoring our life with a living God who is, who is deemed us important and given us things. So things like, um, I have a lot of strong beliefs about, we don't have scales in my house. I don't know what comes attached to that, but we didn't bring it in my house. I don't need to know how much I weigh. Wow. That's a distraction. I need to go out and do bigger things than worry about that. I don't, I, because of my stuff, um, and where I choose to live, like we live normal. We're going to have candy in our house. We're going to, we're not, I'm not bringing sugar free this in my house. Now I'm not saying that's for everybody, but I think we have to be careful of what is attached to things and what culture we're breeding and, and what does that look like? Um, I can't go back there, you know, like, like, an alcoholic struggles with alcohol. Like I can't, I can't go in that diet world. I had to surrender that. And because I surrendered that, I had to choose to live an intentional life with a living God and say, I'm going to live in balance, not extreme. Um, and that's not just true in the physical sense, but I feel like a lot of women, we struggle with that. The women today, we have a lot of expectations on us to look perfect and be put together and be successful and be the mom and be the wife and it's it's a lot and at some point we have to find balance in that and and decide what culture we're going to live under that's why Romans 12 2 is so important and why I had Don put that on because that's a pattern of the world to be a certain size it's a pattern of the world to look a certain way it's a pattern of the world to keep up with the Joneses like drop it we don't have to um being brave enough to be unique, being brave enough to live out the creation that the creator made. And our and can we dare to do that? So do you feel fired up or what after listening to Suzanne share? And there are so many just nuggets of truth and wisdom in there, but I'll tell you what, I feel like I am ready to take on the world right now with God's help, of course. Suzanne shared a lot of insightful thoughts and truths during her story, but I think one that will really stick with me um, and cause me to reflect on how I'm spending my time is the belief that our callings should not contradict each other. And the moment that we realize one of our callings is um, being sacrificed, then we know that our priorities are out of whack or um, the time and effort we're devoting to one, may, we may need to pull back on that. And so like I know for me, the moment I realize that my children um, are needing me and I'm not giving them what they need, and I can usually tell because they start acting out, <laughs> um, that's when I know that I need to step back and look to God for help and figure out where I need to realign my attention, my time, and my priorities. So I just, I love that she shared that and that's something that I'm going to be reflecting on, I know, for months and years to come as we live this crazy life. Thanks again for joining us. And as always, we appreciate any ratings or reviews on iTunes. And of course, we love for you to share the podcast with friends and families. It just helps it to reach new ears. So thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, we post our episodes every Tuesday, and we hope you'll join us again soon.